Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Gavin, and I can serve as one of the pastors for our church, City Light Church. And I want to welcome you here, especially those of you who are new. Uh, City Light is about five and a half years old. And whenever we planted City Light Church, we really felt a call from God not just to plant a church, but as we looked at the New Testament and uh, especially the book of Acts, what we see is that, you know, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus gives the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples throughout all the world. And what happens immediately after that is a worldwide church planting movement where disciples of Jesus are making disciples of Jesus and churches are planting churches. And so our mission at City Light Church, somebody help me out, is to multiply. Okay, well, three of you, congratulations. Multiply disciples and churches. A lot of you are new. We'll give you a little grace for that. So it's all right. We exist to multiply disciples and churches. And so to date, there are five City Light churches and uh, a couple more are, what do you call that? Ready to go in utero, ready to come out and be birthed sometime soon. Uh, But one of my greatest joys is to uh, not only see the ministry that's happening here, but see the multiplicative effects of church planning. And last week was super fun for me. I was off, did a little staycation to work on my house two weeks ago. And then on Sunday, I got to go to City Light Benson and just attend. I took my son. My wife had to do kids ministry at Midtown that was poor communication on my part. Forgot to tell her I was off that week. So she took the littles to Midtown, and Grady and I got to go to Benson. And it brought me so much joy to see Alex Marquez. This guy graduated from Wayne State. Don't hold it against him. A few, a few good ones do come out of Wayne. By the way, side note, unscripted. Did you all watch the evening news last night? There was a chicken clucking competition in Wayne. Did you, anyone else see this? This is true. I think it was mostly professors from their local college that... Uh, it's an annual thing. Who can be the most chicken-like? I don't know. I think they got a degree program in it. Some of your pastors studied that. Um, anyway, Alex came as a, uh, um, you know, a fresh graduate from Wayne State College, came, served on our staff team as an intern. Uh, he got his master's degree and uh, did a remote seminary program, trained with us, and then got sent out as a part of the Benson team. And uh, I tell you what, Benson is a few years old now. It brought me so much joy to see this new church that wasn't here a few years ago. And it's all because God and you guys and your generosity and your continual investment in raising up and sending out uh, new and young leaders. And so this guy just amazingly destroyed in the best way a sermon on Psalm 113. There are about 300 people there worshiping Jesus. Of all of our churches, I think this one is the most culturally engaged in their neighborhood. Uh, They are reaching out to refugees in Benson. They're really entrenched in the elementary school right across the street. And uh, they're marching in Benson Days this weekend, just doing an amazing job engaging their neighborhood with the gospel. So that was super fun. So give it up for City Light Benson, y'all. Churches are being planted. And I wanted to highlight him because we have a real, uh, real special treat this morning. Uh, we get to hear from one of our current interns that, as Paul Schleicher said yesterday, is one giant bucket full of potential. Uh, Jacob Richardson is a great friend of mine that I met about two and a half years ago. Uh, just a young man out of school exploring ministry, was headed to Guatemala for a year um, to study the language and help pioneer a young adult ministry there. Uh, and came back, and I said, hey, what if you came on our team, raised your support, cut your teeth in ministry, and just ran with us for a while to explore the calling that God has on your life? Uh, so he's been here now for about a year. He serves with our college ministry, City Light U, 
And he, along with Alejandro and Christina, launched a Spanish-speaking city group that has absolutely exploded, been extraordinarily fruitful, uh, that we are very excited about what the Lord might have in store for City Light Espanol. Don't know if that's a church plant, if that's just a growing and more robust ministry here within the church. That's up to the Lord. Uh, But this team has been amazing. And so I've invited Jacob to bring the Word of God to us this morning. He has a very strong teaching gift uh, for a young dude. I've been blessed by his teaching, and so will you. And so, Jacob, come on up. Will, you want to slide his pulpit over? Man, you got a fresh haircut and some skinny jeans. Gotta, You're just like a good. millennial preacher right here, y'all. That's all you need. That's all you need. Some skinnies and a fresh haircut. New and shoes, this, too. New shoes, new kicks, looking fresh. And the spirit of God, character, giftedness, and education. He's got it all. Let's pray for him. Lord, thank you for Jacob. Thank you for the call that you have placed on his life. Thank you for the word of God that speaks to us so clearly. We pray that you would carry Jacob along right now, that he would just experience the pleasure of the Father working through the Spirit in his life to bring to life your word to us. Pray for our hearts, that we'd be good students of your Bible, uh, ready and humble, uh, ready to listen and to learn all that you have for us out of Romans 8 this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Preacher, brother. Thank Thank you. you. Well, good morning, City Light. Like Gavin said, my name is Jacob. And just as an intern, I just want to say how thankful I am to be a part of, of this church the church family that is all about Jesus and that is committed each and every week to preaching the word of God, even if the person preaching can't really shave yet and is an intern at the church. It's fine. But this morning, we're going to be in Romans 8, continuing through our summer series, verses 18 through 27. So you guys can go ahead and open your Bibles there. And in this text, we're going to have the opportunity to ask ourselves a question. Is following Christ really worth it? See, we we believe that that Jesus came and died, was buried, he rose from the dead, and he promised us us eternal life with him, but is following Jesus on the earth really worth the pain that can sometimes come as a result? See, maybe you're losing friends because you're not partying like you used to, or your your family's rejecting you because now you're a Jesus follower, or... Maybe you're struggling with the loss of a loved one, and you're, you're, you're trying to reconcile how a good God can allow something like that to happen. See, the question we're asking could be phrased this way. Is the coming glory worth the present pain? About three weeks ago, I was on a mission trip to, to Taiwan, and our team was, was asking ourselves that question, because ever since we got there, um, the, the Taiwanese people were telling about us about this restaurant that we had to go to. It's this restaurant called Hot Pot. And Hot Pot's not your typical restaurant. It's a restaurant where you, you sit down and you're put on a clock. You have a two-hour clock to eat as much food as you could possibly eat. It's a good restaurant. But the thing with Hot Pot is you have to cook your own food. And so when I first heard that, I was like, why would I go to a restaurant that I have to cook my own food at? Because cooking at Hot Pot is fun. Because there's this boiling cauldron in the middle of your table that you put um, all of these different foods in. You've got meats, vegetables, a bunch of Taiwanese delicacies. And you can put them into this pot that you've got maybe yellow curry or lemongrass or teriyaki or extra spicy, all these different flavors. So they told us that we had to go there. Oh, on top of that, they have 16 flavors of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. <laughs> Unlimited. That was my favorite part. So, in order to experience this glorious food, our team had to go through some pain because hot pot is not cheap, 
and because we also wanted to eat a ton of food, we explained to our team in the morning that we wouldn't be able to eat lunch that day, and we would be eating dinner at about 10 o'clock that night because we had some other things before that. So, as you would expect, this news produced some groans in our team. Some came out of their mouth, others came out of their stomach later as they were really hungry. Um, Some of them were like, man, I'm hangry, which is a word for hungry and angry that we've mixed together. I was part of that group. But we were sustained by one fact. The coming glory of the food was going to be worth every bit of the pain of hunger. (laughs) See, we understood that our hunger was not the end of the story. There was more to the story, and the promise of coming glory of that ice cream in our mouths was worth the present pain. I think we have a picture of our team afterwards. Yep. We're showing off our food babies because it was glorious. Okay. So Paul's going to show us in this passage that, that as Christians, there is a day that is awaiting us that is going to be so good that it's going to overshadow and swallow up all of our greatest sufferings in life. He doesn't minimize the pain of suffering and loss. He doesn't just throw it away. But in this passage, he's going to show us that we have a future reality that's so good that even the worst and the most difficult moments of our lives will fade in comparison to the light of the glory that we're going to experience with Jesus. And this passage has been, has been the great hope of many Christians throughout the generations, Christians who have experienced great pain and great suffering. And so this morning, I want to ask you guys to take in the truth of this passage, to believe it, to memorize it, and to cherish it with your whole heart. Because City Light, this truth matters for us. All of us have experienced and will experience pain and suffering in this life. It's part of the fall. And this present suffering has the power to destroy us unless we hold tightly to this truth. That there is a day coming that even our worst trials cannot compare with. Our suffering is not the end. There is more to the story, Christian, because Jesus is alive and because Jesus is coming back. So I want to show you this from our passage. In these verses, we're going we're to see four truths about our present suffering and about the coming glory. And our first truth is this, groaning comes before glory. We see this in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So this verse was written to the church in Rome. It was a church that was experiencing a lot of different sufferings, and the Christians there were experiencing problems because of their faith in Christ. Some of them were socially outcasted. Some were rejected from their families. Some were physically harmed, and some were even killed because of their faith in Jesus. Yet, I think Paul leaves this specific example, this um, verse 18, vague for a reason. Because all of God's people face different types of suffering. See, when sin entered the world, with it came suffering. We have death and decay and disease, relational drama. These are, these are real things that have come into the world as a result of sin. And I don't know all of you, but I've heard enough of your stories to know that, that for many of you, you've walked through pain and suffering that is extreme, that is pain and suffering that I have not yet walked through. But what Paul is communicating in this section is not just empathy. See, even though he too has suffered in massive ways, he's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned, he's been beaten three times, he's taking this specific verse 
the specific opportunity in verse 18 to say that whether you're headed into a gladiator stadium to be eaten by lions like some of the Romans were, or you're battling family drama, or a new diagnosis from the doctor. God wants you to know that your suffering is not the end of the story because groaning comes before glory. But how did Paul arrive at this conclusion? He arrived at the conclusion by looking to Jesus. And so that's exactly what we want to do this morning. See, Jesus himself experienced groaning before glory. He came from heaven and he took on human flesh. And although Jesus was worthy of every ounce of glory we could pour out on him, he took the form of a servant. Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem one day on a donkey instead of coming in on a triumphal white horse that he could come in on as a king. He came humbly on a donkey. And then Jesus went to the cross. And there on the cross, he paid for the sin of all mankind. See, on the cross, Jesus received the punishment of the sin that you and I commit. He experienced the greatest groaning possible, the wrath of God. And then he was buried. And his followers groaned, thinking, thinking that it was over, thinking that all they had built their life upon was dead. But there was more to the story, because a few days later, Jesus walked out of his own grave, and he did it in glory. And then Jesus ascended to the Father in glory, and one day Jesus is coming back in glory. And guess what? When Jesus comes back in glory, we get to be included in it. See, the glory that is to be revealed to us is a glory that is going to come from Jesus himself. It's an indescribable glory, the glory of the King of kings coming back to earth to make all things new. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when Jesus returns, all the evil, all the pain, all the suffering is going to be done away with. It's going to be put to death while all who look to Jesus will marvel at the glorified returned King of kings. See, when we see and we experience firsthand the glory of Jesus, our present sufferings are going to fall quickly to the shadows. See, church, the the point of this verse is that this day, no matter how hard and how difficult it is, cannot be compared to that day, because that day is going to be that good. Christians, we have the hope, the promise of coming glory, and that gives us great hope in the midst of suffering. I saw this play out recently in the life of one of my missionary friends. Earlier this year, um, her, her mother came to visit her on the mission field, and while she was there, she suddenly had a heart attack and died. And as you could imagine, this was an incredibly difficult time for her, for her dad, and for everyone involved. And a few weeks after it happened, my mom and I had the opportunity to go and, and to be with, with my friend and with her dad. And for the first few days of our time together, we, we hung out, we ate ice cream, we talked, we saw some, some ancient ruins and enjoyed our time together, but we didn't talk much about the loss. We just wanted to be present, we wanted to be with them, we wanted to, to experience time with them. And then about three days into our time there, we were, we were sitting in their home, it was myself and my mom with my friend and her dad, and she asked me, she said, would you talk to us about heaven? See, the time was, was, was there that they wanted to hear about the promise of heaven. They wanted to hear more about the coming glory that, that they were going to experience. And so I got to share with them a lot of what I just got to share with you. And I could see their countenance change, their hearts encouraged, their, their joy filled as they recognized that, 
that their mother was experiencing true glory and that one day they were going to be there to join her because of Jesus. See, City Light, I would ask you today that whether you are in, in the fight of your life or everything's going well for you right now, I would ask you to believe this good news, to make a firm conclusion in your heart that this is true, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. May God give us the faith to believe that even as we groan, glory is coming, and glory is coming because Jesus is coming. And when Jesus returns, all things will be made new. So in verse 18, we get a good overview of of this section of Scripture. And now Paul's going to get a little bit more specific, and we're going to talk about three different types of groaning. We're going to see the groaning of creation, the groaning of Christians, and the groaning of the Holy Spirit. So our second truth this morning is this. Creation groans for glory. Creation groans for glory. Let's look at verses 19 to 22. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So in these verses, Paul, Paul personifies creation, and he does so to help us understand that just like creation, or just like Christians, creation also is groaning for glory. In verse 19, we read that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And this eager longing is the picture of creation standing on its tiptoes with its head stretched out, just waiting, expecting. But what is it waiting for? It says it's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, the revealing of the sons of God, it's not like a a baby gender reveal that you're going to see on Facebook, where God one day is going to open a treasure chest, and then these super Christians are going to come floating out wearing pink or blue clothes, and and they're going to go heal the earth. That's not what this is saying, although it'd be kind of funny to see, I think. Instead, it's saying that, that the creation is waiting eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed, because that event happens when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, creation is going to experience a new birth. But why does creation want to be made new? Well, in verse 20, it, we read that the creation has been subjected to futility. See, ever since Adam sinned, the creation was, was cursed. Sin entered the world, and, and as a result, creation began to decay. So we've got thorns that are choking out plants. We've got animals that eat other animals. Death and decay entered the world with sin. And I was reminded of this death and decay about six weeks ago. We were on a mission trip uh, with City Light U to Guatemala. And while we were there, about 50 miles from where we were staying, the Volcan de Fuego erupted and sent rocks and smoke. There's a picture flying into the air, lava rushing down the side of the volcano. It was, it was a devastating afternoon for countless people And depending on what reports you read, upwards of 2,000 people died as a result of this eruption. It was a clear, devastating reminder of the fact that creation, though it's beautiful, is in bondage to corruption. So this brokenness is not what creation was designed for, though. There's more to the story. See, creation was subjected to futility, but we read here that it was subjected in hope in hope that one day 
according to verse 21, all creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And I don't know about you, but early in my Christian life, I, I understood that, that when I died, I would go and be with Jesus, and, and he would restore me, he would make me new, but I had no idea what was going to happen with the earth, with creation. I thought that it would be me and other Christians and God on these golden streets playing football for all of eternity. That was because of this one song. But <laughs> the Bible does not limit heaven to God, other Christians, footballs, and golden streets. Yes, we will be with God and other Christians for all of eternity, but we're going to be in a place, a place that's called the new heavens and the new earth. For eternity, we're going to be on a glorified form of this earth that will serve as a constant reminder to us of the power of God, the God who can heal us and heal the earth. But what does that restored earth look like? There's, there's a good amount of, of references in the Bible that, that give us a picture, but I want to read one that I find super interesting. It's in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 and 8. It gives us a little picture into this restored earth. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. So you ask, how restored will this creation be? Well, babies will be playing with cobras. <laughs> Super restored, right? Super restored. City Light, let's realize that God's salvation is not limited to just us. He will restore us, but he's also going to restore our world when Jesus returns. So as we hear news of, of volcano eruptions and wildfires and record heat and record cold, let's recognize a true reality that we see in verse 22, that these things are not the death cries of creation. They're not the death cries of creation. Instead, they're the pains of childbirth. It's not the end of the story, but rather the beginning of the story, because new life is coming, a new creation filled with beauty that will far surpass anything we could ever imagine is going to be birthed when Jesus comes back. See, as painful as the corruption is right now, there's more to the story. A new earth is coming. A new birth is going to come. And when that new earth comes, the birth pains are going to be forgotten because of the glory that is going to be revealed. Creation groans for glory and its glory is coming. But just as creation groans, so do we as Christians. And so the third truth we see in this text is this. Christians groan for redemption. Christians groan for redemption. Look with me at verses 23 to 25. It says, not, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul here is saying that after you trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And so as a result, you're going to start looking forward to and longing for and desiring the future glory that awaits you. You're going to find it more and more difficult to live life here on this fallen earth. 
See, just like the week before you go on vacation, you're going to be a little bit dissatisfied with your current reality because you're anticipating what is coming. And one of those things we anticipate, verse 23 says, is our coming adoption. The time when we get to enjoy the full benefits of being God's children in his presence. But maybe you're thinking about how last week Chris was up here and he preached this incredible sermon on the truth that all of us, when we place our faith in Jesus, have been adopted into the family of God. God's given us his best. He's welcomed us into his family. We have a seat at his table forever. We get to call him dad. And those things are completely true. And yet, this verse says that we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. And so the Bible contradicts itself and we should just go home? No. No. This is an example of what we call the already but not yet tension of the Christian faith. See, if our faith is in Jesus, we have already been adopted into the family of God. We have a new identity as children of God. We have God as our Father. We have His Son, Jesus, as our Lord. These things are already true. But we have not yet experienced every benefit of that adoption. Namely, the redemption of our bodies. So what Paul is saying here is that we are awaiting the full fulfillment of our sonship. We're groaning for redemption, for the redemption of our bodies. And I believe that if we can understand this this morning, this will be a game changer in our lives. Have you ever wondered why you read in the Bible that that you're a new creation in Christ, that the, the old has gone and the new has come, but sometimes you act like the old man? Or you read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but you're not always loving. You're not always kind to your family, and you're certainly not always self-controlled when you play sports. These are examples of the Christians groaning for redemption. Because, Christian, these things are true. You are a new creation in Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit if your faith is in Jesus. It is true. But your body is not yet redeemed. And that's a problem for us because our bodies were brought forth in sin. Our bodies in their nature are not perfect. And I don't have to say much to prove this to you. We're all very aware of the fact that our bodies are not what we want them to be. So why does the Christian groan? Because we have the Spirit of God living inside a sinful body. We have a perfect God living inside an imperfect person. And so inevitably, there's going to be a battle. And that battle is what produces the groaning in every believer. This is something that's personal to me because for, for a few years in my life, between like ages of 17 and 19, I was, I was struggling with assurance of salvation. And, and this, this struggle came as a result of the fact that I was still sinning. I couldn't understand how how I could be forgiven, but then continue in these patterns of sin. It was like if my mind was not consumed with these self-centered, lustful thoughts, then it was consumed with this like paralyzing thought that God was somehow eternally displeased with me. And I would go back and forth between these thought patterns for a while. And then one day, I sat down with a man of God that I really look up to whose name is Jim. And I shared with him what was going on. I shared with him the struggle these constant battles that were going on in my mind. And I told him that I didn't even know if I was a Christian because of these things that I was struggling with, these, these thought patterns. 
and these actions. And he responded by telling me that the fact that there's a battle is a really good thing. He explained to me that, that the groaning I was expressing was a sign that the Holy Spirit was at work in me. He said if there's no battle, if there's no war between sin and righteousness, between good and evil, between the flesh and the spirit, then that's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is not in you. Because whenever the Holy Spirit of God is in a person, then there's going to be a war against everything that's not holy. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but that season of my life was the first time I was conscious of this battle, this groaning that was described in verse 23. And that groaning has continued ever since, because each and every day, the Spirit of God is desiring to form me more and more into the Son of God, into Jesus. And for that to happen, sin needs to be done away with. In order for us to look more like Jesus, we need to look less like our sin. So City Light, if you're groaning for righteousness right now, take it as a good sign. A good sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And remember to not grow weary because this groaning is not the end of the story. There's more to the story for us as Christians because the redemption of our bodies is coming. And when Jesus returns, he's going to give us new redeemed bodies. And as a result, the war that we fight will be over and won. The Spirit of God will reign fully in our immortal bodies for all of eternity, and we're going to be free from sin and with Jesus forever. Amen. Thank you. This is our hope, and it's in this hope that we were saved. But I want to address something that maybe some of you are thinking. Maybe you would say, I'm not really groaning for the redemption of my bodies. Like, Maybe, maybe you're enjoying life right now. Maybe everything's going well for you. And, and your only groaning consists of when your favorite sports team loses, um, when your golf ball goes into the water, when your Instagram post doesn't hit 100 likes, or your baby number gets pulled up on that screen right there. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that those things are, are bad to groan about, but I'm saying that if that is all you're groaning about, if you have no concern for righteousness no thought of obeying God, no desire for eternity with God, then there is a problem. And if that's your reality right now, there could be two possibilities. One, you've either hardened your heart so much to God that you're not hearing His Spirit convict you, or you're just simply not a Christian and you do not have the Spirit of God living in you. Either way, if that's where, you would at, where you're at, I would ask you to acknowledge that and to go to God in prayer, even right now, confessing to him, God, I have sinned. I don't groan for anything that you desire, but would you forgive me and would you change me? And I trust in Jesus to do that. And immediately, you too can receive hope. God will give you new desires. He will make you a new creation. And it's only in him that you can have hope. Christians, we have redemption promised to us. We will have redeemed bodies when Jesus returns, and it's in that hope that we're saved. But until that day comes, we groan. But we don't groan alone. Our fourth and final truth this morning is this. The Spirit groans with us. The Spirit groans with us. We see this 
in verses 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. See, oftentimes as we, as we groan, the weight is heavy upon us. At times we don't know what to pray. We don't even know what to do. We feel trapped under the weight of our sin and our struggle. But here's the good news. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word for helps us in Greek, it, it paints this picture of, of a person walking down the street with a heavy weight on their back, and they're walking, and then someone else comes alongside of them, seeing that they're struggling under the weight, and takes the weight, shifts it, and they walk together, sharing the weight down the road. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside of us. He meets us in our weakness and helps us endure. Christians, you and I are not alone in our suffering. Not only do you have other Christians in this church, in your city group, that want to be at your side in the midst of your struggle, but you also have the Spirit of God himself with you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. He's alive in you. And he will never let you down. And the great news about the Spirit of God is he knows exactly what to pray. And he always prays according to the will of God because, well, he is God. Family, our God is not scared of our suffering. We can run into the arms of our good Father at any moment and be completely honest with him. We're his kids. He loves us. He wants to be with us. And in that honesty, in that groaning, in that weeping, and in that pain, there will be times when you have no words. And that's okay. Because your advocate, the Holy Spirit, is with you, groaning with you according to the will of God. So as we close, let's, let's remember that as a follower of Jesus, there will be suffering. But our suffering is not the end of the story. And so because Jesus has given the promise of eternal life with him, we know that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So may our sufferings make us hungry for heaven, and may we endure here on the earth. But for those of you who, who have never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, then I need to be super clear with you that if you die without trusting in Jesus, then suffering is going to be the end of your story. And it will be a suffering that is eternal in an unquenchable fire in a place called hell. And your sin is going to send you there for all of eternity. That is what our sins deserve. But that does not have to be your end. Because you're here now, you've got breath in your lungs, you've got a decision to make. Will you trust in Jesus or will you reject him? And if you'll come to him and if you'll place your faith in him as the perfect son of God, the one who can forgive your sin, the one who can restore your honor, you can trust him in this moment. And just like that, you too will have the hope of heaven. Suffering will not be the end of your story. Rather, eternal life in glory with the risen King of Kings will. Amen? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that, that you are good. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark. God, you've, 
you've been very clear that we will experience trouble in this world, but you've overcome the world, and you're coming back, God. And so we thank you that we have eternal glory promised to us because of you. God, we would not grow weary. And for those of you who would say, I have not placed my faith in Jesus, but I want to, I would encourage you to pray this prayer after me in your heart. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I acknowledge that, that I have rejected you, but I, I now know, God, that you died to save me. You rose, proving that that payment was final, that you have paid for my sins, and I trust in you right now, Jesus. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me new? Would you give me the hope of eternity? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your work. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.